I want to bring you into three conversations that I have had and I want to describe them and I hope that you can put yourself in my shoes and think how would I respond in that conversation okay the first one a young man who's about 25 came to me and said I'm thinking about going back to grad school I'm a little worried about the, the about the student debt because I'd be taking on maybe 40, 50K more in debt. But I'm really passionate about this subject, really interests me, and I, I know I'd enjoy doing it. What do you think I should do? What would you say? Second conversation, I was at Eclectic, my usual, in my usual booth, having my usual breakfast, and I was with a guy that I was getting to know who's in his mid-40s. And so I said, hey, tell me about your job. And he kind of looked down at the table and said, it's just a job. It pays the bills. It, it does that pretty well, but it's just a job. And there was a moment there with an awkward kind of silence, and I felt like I should say something. What would you say? The third conversation, I got a call from a woman in her 70s. And she said, here's my situation. I, uh, a, a few months back, uh, I have a, a midlife friend who was down on her luck. And so I welcomed her into my home and let her live in my spare bedroom. And she thought it would be for maybe about a month. But now time has passed and now it's actually been three months. And so I'm really torn up. I, I, I'm a Christian. I really want to help her out. And um, I can't bear the thought of asking her to move out. But on the other hand, I, I wasn't ready for this. And I'm honestly, I'm feeling kind of resentful. What do you think I should do? How would you answer her? What I want to set before you this morning is that every one of those scenarios, those conversations, is addressed by the biblical wisdom in one command. It is not an obscure command. You don't have to rustle into some part of the Bible where you can't pronounce the book name to find it. It is in the center of the New Testament, the heart of the writings of the Apostle Paul. And it is not hard to understand. You don't need to be a Greek scholar to get this. It's so clear what it means. And not only that, but Paul says, I'm giving you this command in the name and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. I got it from him. And yet I have to say, I've been listening to sermons for over 40 years. I have never heard one on this command. I don't know why, because I have to say, it is so essential to our work, to the daily work that you have and that I have. And it is so essential to our relationships. What I mean is this, if you and I will get this right, if we will obey the Lord Jesus Christ in this command, we will find a greater dignity, a greater responsibility, a greater nobility in our lives. But if we back off of this challenge and this command from our Lord Jesus Christ and, and we refuse to obey him in this, then what will happen is that we will become more passive. We will actually find our dignity eroding 
over time and our relationships, we will start to ripple out to others' resentment. It's that important. And so we must look at this together, friends. Now, before I turn, I just need to give you one minute of context. Paul uh, started a church and worked with a church in the Greek city of Thessaloniki. It's Greece's second largest city. And there, 17 or 18 years after Jesus had risen from the dead, there were Christians in the church who came with this line of reasoning. They said, you know what? My daily work is really keeping me down spiritually. It's holding me back from what I'm longing to do in the Lord. Because what I really want to do is I want to pray. I want to spend devoted and energetic time in prayer, and I can't if I've got to go to work every day. And I want to spend time in fasting. I want to draw close to the Lord in intimacy, and, and this job is getting in my way of doing that. And, and not only that, I, I want to wait for the Lord in earnest expectation of his glorious return. How can I do that when I've got to be doing this work out there? And, and, and they, they said, do you realize the, when Jesus visited Martha and Mary, Martha's scurrying around, doing all this work. She's all burdened and distracted by the work. But what's Mary doing? Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking in the, the teachings of our Lord, and, and she's in contemplation. And, and Jesus says that Mary's chosen the better part. That's what I want to do. And so they resigned from their jobs. And... Other Christians said, wow, if you're going to do something that important with your life, then I'll tell you what, you can move into my basement. I, I'm going to help with you with that and share meals with us. Now, what does Paul say to them? What's his word? Would you turn to 2 Thessalonians 3 there in your bulletin? And we're going to, we're going to start at verse 11. Paul says, we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work. Now, let's just pause right there. Paul's not targeting those of you here this morning who are unemployed and desperately trying to find work. That's not you, okay? He's talking about people who could work, used to be working, but have refused to work, okay? Do you see that? And not only are they refusing to work, but they're meddling in other people's business. There's actually a play on words. You're not getting down to business. You're messing in other people's business. And so what does Paul tell them, verse 12? We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. Wow. Settle down and work to earn your living. Now, sometimes when Paul's giving apostolic counsel to the churches that he started, he'll say, look, I don't have a command from the Lord on this. I'm just giving you my thought as one who's been entrusted and maybe is worthy to have a thought or an opinion on this. But not here. He's not saying this is my opinion. This is like a pretty good idea. He's saying we got this from the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ that you should, if you can work, you should work. You should settle down and earn your own living. Now, this command was countercultural then, and it is just as countercultural today. In their context, their philosophers and, and leading thinkers there in the Greek society were all saying the same thing. They're saying, you know what the worthwhile life is? You know what the noble life is that you should pursue? It's, it's a life where you have so much leisure that you are able to pursue philosophy. 
It's, it's a thoughtful life. You're able to engage and enjoy the arts. And you're able to spend time in politics, but in, in sort of a, kind of like a civic hobby. And that's, you know, because work is demeaning. And you go, well, hey, we don't think that. Oh, really? Most people I know will sell you the ultimate ideal, the best thing you could do with your life is to become independently wealthy so you don't have to work. If you could just hit the lottery and then not have to work, man, you'd have your, your, you'd have your resignation letter like one second after you scratched off that lotto ticket. That's our ideal. But if we can't get that, then we go to a second best, which is a, a, a type of labor that's kind of like the Greek ideal of kind of a refined and thoughtful labor. Careercast.com did a ranking. They created this algorithm and ranked 200 jobs in America from best to worst. And almost all the jobs at the bottom of the heap were jobs with, with manual labor. They were jobs like butcher and, and dishwasher and roofer. And all, almost all the jobs up at the top end of careercast.com's algorithm were jobs where you have sort of a, a, a thoughtful, philosophical thought, knowledge work. Things like actuary, software engineer, or financial planner. And so we've carried with us, have we not, friends, this ideal. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if we could either stop working or get as close as we can? And Paul's saying, have you all not read, like, your Hebrew scriptures? Because if you notice there, what does God do? He works. Six days. He works, he works, he works, he keeps working, he works, he works, then he rests. And he creates us in his image to do what? Work. He puts man and woman in the garden, and he says, till it. Do something with this. Rule the earth. Uh, bring dominion to it. Make something good of this world I've given you. So it, it, God is a worker. We're created in his image to work. And here's the thing. We actually become like God as we work. Hello. That's countercultural. But it's the clear teaching of Paul. And he says, would you look at verse 7? He says, I modeled this for you. You know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. Now, I don't think he means that he never came over for a meal, but I never became dependent on you to buy the groceries that I could buy. And he says, we worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us. Let's pause right there. Paul makes clear two or three different times, if you are laboring in the gospel, and let's add that, note the verb, laboring in the gospel, you have a right to be supported by those who are benefiting from that gospel labor. So he's not challenging that principle, but he's saying, I didn't even use my right because I so wanted to get through to you that work is the way you become like God. It's that important. And so I modeled this. Man, I worked night and day. So we wouldn't be a burden to you. We certainly had the right but we wanted to give you an example. And he's saying, not only did I model this, verses 7 through 9, I taught it. So in case you couldn't have like, observed or kind of picked up what I was trying to do, I made it like super clear, verse 10, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work, note the unwilling, there's a refusal here, will not get to eat. Don't expect the church to pick you up on the charitable roles if you're not willing to do some labor if you're able to. Is that really so hard to understand? And Paul's saying, I modeled it. 
I taught it, and then I actually wrote you a letter in case you didn't listen the day I spoke, and I gave you a letter that you could reread, and, and here's what I said in that. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before, because then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live, and you won't need to depend on others. So Paul's saying, okay, I modeled it, I taught it, I wrote it, and you're still not getting it. So now I got to go to clear command from the Lord Jesus number two. Would you look at verse six? And now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition they receive from us. Verse 14, take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they'll be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, but warn them as you would a brother and sister. Wow. Isn't that harsh? It sounds like one of those shunnings like they do in a military academy or an Amish community or something. Why would Paul give that wisdom? Okay, well, let's play it out the other way. Let's say you say, Paul, I don't like your counsel. I don't like this teaching that you got from the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to keep doing it my way. Okay, what does that look like? Can we play this out? The person that you are helping, helping in air quotes, by enabling them not to work, are they getting better or are they getting worse? They're getting worse. They're gradually becoming more passive. They're gradually getting more taken over by the vice of sloth until their will is becoming captive and they are losing their dignity. There's such dignity when you say, man, I worked hard. I was able to provide for my needs. And now you're taking that away from them in your desire to help. If you've seen Wally, this illustration is going to make wonderful sense for you. And if you haven't, just bear with me. Wally is this robot who's been left on Earth to clean up mountains of trash that have been left by humans who have trashed the Earth. And he falls in love with this other robot, Eve, which sets him on a quest. And he ends up going to this space station in which the humans who are waiting for the robots to finish cleaning up the Earth are now living. And, and the way those animators depict those humans who have, are doing no work, the only people working in this film are the robots, okay? They're like these big blobby babies, right? Giant heads and big round bodies. They look like the Michelin Man, but like hideous. And they're sitting on these barca loungers reclining, and they're watching video screens, and they've got this giant drink with a straw that comes over like this. It's almost like an IV tube, you know, and they're doing nothing. And what the animators are saying is the same truth that Paul's saying. When you take away someone's work who can work, you're actually harming them. It's not love. And then what happens to us? I don't know if you've ever had somebody sort of presume upon your hospitality or, or, or your kindness or generosity, but what happens? I don't know what happens to you. I'll tell you what happens to me. I get resentful, okay? I don't get resentful if they can't help themselves. Maybe they're going through rehab and they need me to help them out. I don't get resentful if they're working to get their associates and finish that up, but I get resentful when they could be working and they're not. And so that's why Paul has to say here in verse 13, do you see this? Uh, as for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. He's saying, here's what I'm afraid is going to happen. You're going to rush in to try to help this person who's refusing to work. Out of good motives, obviously. 
And then what you're going to do is you're going to enable their passivity. And then you're going to get resentful. And it's going to start to poison the Christian community. And then you're going to pull back. You're going to say, man, I rushed in to help you. Now I've got to get away from you. You're killing me. And, and, and then you're going to shut down. And the next time somebody who's in real need and needs to live in your basement, you go, oh, no, no, no. No, I did that once. I'm not doing that again. And so Paul says, no, do good. You should do a ton of good, but only up to the point where it doesn't impair their ability to work. So so what seems harsh is actually the most life-giving command because what it promotes is dignity and nobility in each person and and it reduces resentment and broken relationships in the church. Oh, the wisdom, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Would we ever have figured out on our own that it's in the weight of work that we actually find the delight of dignity? We would never have gotten there. We're always trying to get out of work. And God's saying, if you want to become like me, here's how you do it. You settle down and work to earn your own living. All right, now, what do we do with this passage where we have two clear commands, settle down and work to earn your own living, and stay away from, which I take as stop enabling, those who refuse that? Let's apply it, shall we, to these three conversations that we talked about. Okay, young man, 25, thinking about grad school. What I'm hearing from him is that actually he's already discovered his deep gladness. He knows that this program would bring him a lot of delight. He would get energized by these studies, and it would be a joy. And so we need to pay attention to that. But it is a Christian thing to do to also say, by doing this, am I going to end up more able to settle down and earn my living? as Jesus Christ has commanded me to do. It's not wrong to ask how many of your graduates a year after graduation are actually working in their field. And to ask how many of the people who complete, complete this degree are able to generate a life-sustaining wage. See, it's not settling to settle down and earn your living. Can I get an amen? That's not settling. See, we don't tend to spiritualize We don't go, oh, God told me to stop working, but we do kind of personalize where we go, well, that's not the right situation for me. The right situation for you, according to this text, is the one that pays your bills. Now, you can work toward getting a better one, and you should, but that's not bad. So I would want to have a conversation like that with with this young man and not discourage him, but just broaden the picture based on this teaching. Okay. Second conversation guy in his midlife who's like, it's a job. Can I just do something this morning? I just want to take this giant hypodermic needle of, of, uh, of dignity and put that into you and say, you're my hero. Do you realize that what you're doing when you go to a job you don't like, but you do it because it provides for your own needs? and it provides for the needs of your family and people you care about, and it provides for the church so you can write a check to support kingdom labor, and it, and it provides for the poor and those who truly are not able to generate their own income. Do you realize how noble and dignified and worthwhile that is with your life? Can you see that you are, are obeying the Lord Jesus Christ even when it's really hard? And there's many days you do not want to go in there. But you're saying, by doing it and by going in there, I love Jesus Christ so much. I love my family so much. I love the church so much. I love the poor so much. I'm going to do it. 
I'm willing to work. I'm willing to sweat. I'm not afraid of doing the hard thing because I know it's the responsible thing and it's what Jesus Christ has called me to do. Can I just look you in the eye and say, you're my hero. Well done. All right, now what do we say to the woman who's 70 and torn up about how to help this person? These situations are really complex. I'm not going to be able to answer all of them. But, but one of the things I would ask is, how can you structure your help, which should be generous and sacrificial, but structure it in a way that it doesn't become a handout, it becomes a hand up? See, our friends at World Relief who work here in this church, live, go to this church and work there, they understand this. When a refugee comes to America, does that refugee family want to be on the dole the rest of their lives? They don't. They were working in their home country. They want to get a job here. They need help to transition. They need job, help with job skills and cultural adjustments. But So they, they have employment counselors who immediately start to get them working because it's in work that you find dignity, nobility, and a sense of pride. Not a bad pride, a godly pride because you're obeying what Jesus Christ commands you to do. Can you help the person in a way that leads to that? And if not, would you have the courage actually stop enabling now friends this is a challenging text but what a wise text some of you you have been placed by God's providence in roles where you can hire you own a small business you work in a mid-sized business and you maybe have a, a managerial role where you can bring people on can you see how worthwhile it is with your life to create jobs, to give people a, a, a good way to spend their day for a fair wage? Do you see how that ripples out and blesses families and communities and churches and charities? Can you, can you, I, I urge you, if God has given you that unique and providential privilege of creating a job for another person, that you don't just take that lightly, that you pray about that, that you think about that, that you ask God creatively, how can we work together, God, to, to provide jobs for people? because that's such a good thing to do with your life. Now, if we will obey this word of wisdom, this command from Christ, think what will happen. We will promote dignity, nobility, responsibility. That's what we'll promote. And what we will gradually snuff out is passivity and sloth and let's say it, just laziness. And what we will do is we'll prevent resentment building up here in the church because we'll be mature in the way that we provide the help. Oh, that we would all take to heart these clear commands from our Lord and do them. Amen.